Hi, everybody. Dennis Prager here. Fireside chat number 239. Otto was real. Okay. That was a new one. Was that in reaction to 239? So this guy, I was just in Alaska. I I, I literally came back today. (laughs) And it, it is amazing Two things amazed me. First, I was up there for a number of lectures, and uh, I, I, I must admit I was touched by this. More people stopped me in Anchorage and even in rural Alaska to get selfies and say hi than even where I live in L.A. And needless to say, almost everybody mentions Otto. I spoke to one large group, and the bio included reference to Otto, the actual printed bio. <laughs> You're a hit, man. You are a hit. And, and as I always note, never goes to his head. By the way, if you haven't been to Alaska, may I suggest that you visit? It, it's, it was not my first trip. I think it was my fourth, but I never ceased to be touched by its beauty and met a lot of wonderful people, which I do everywhere, because there are wonderful people everywhere. There are awful people everywhere and wonderful people everywhere. And a basic trick in life is maximize the number of wonderful people in your life and minimize the number of awful people in your life, (laughs) but especially the maximize the number of wonderful people. That is one of the great blessings of my life the number of wonderful people that uh, have come into my life. It's it's impossible for me to overstate how much that means to me. So what I was thinking, as I always do, about what I what I would talk about, and it's this is not like an issue in the news, and often I don't do an issue in the news. This is more about insights into life generally than into any one specific, although I do I do specific the last time I spoke about how sad I was about the president's speech in, in Buffalo's, which, well, it won't, won't start it. You could, you could all see it. It's, it's my column up on the Internet. You, you can see it at DennisPrager.com or many other places. So I was thinking about my favorite subject in some ways, and that is gratitude. And what prompted it, it's always prompted because this country is divided between the grateful and the ungrateful. If you really had to, to divide uh, the, the country into two groups, obviously you could say left wing and right wing. You could say Democrat and Republican. You, there are a whole host of things you can say. My big division is between the grateful and the ungrateful. And I don't think it's a secret that the ungrateful tend to be on one side of the spectrum more than on the other. I mean, that, that's, that's obviously a given. If you think this country is awful, you're not grateful for this country. It, that, that's, that's, that's not a political point. It's a definitional point. But what prompted me to think about it was I am, I'm working on the fourth volume of my Bible commentary. I didn't do it in order. I did Exodus, then I did Genesis. So that was volume, that was book two, book one, book four, excuse me, book five, Deuteronomy is coming out later this year. And I'm working on Numbers, which is the fourth of the five books 
that I'm doing, which is the first five books of the Bible. It's called the Rational Bible. And if you think these fireside chats are valuable, I promise you there's nothing more valuable than my life's work into those books, the Rational Bible. So I, I was working on the 11th chapter of the fourth book, Numbers, and it, it's, it's, a, it's really phenomenal. And it describes the Israelites, the Jews, what, whatever term you wish to use, it doesn't matter to me, complaining within a few months of leaving Egypt. They were slaves for hundreds of years, horribly treated, beaten, enslaved. For a period of time, the, uh, the boys that were born were drowned in the Nile. I mean, they went through hell, which is what slavery is. It's hell. And now, a few months later, after all these miracles to get out, they're complaining that they don't like the food that God is providing them called manna. And they, they're going, oh, back in Egypt, we got so much fish. That was the big thing there because the Nile at that time was not polluted and it was abundant with fish. And now we're just stuck with this manna. There we had fish. And God gets really ticked off. And it just says it got very, God got really angry. And when you think about it, that's pretty interesting. God got angry about people complaining. Yeah, in fact, the Hebrew uses the term evil, that they complained evilly or complained in an evil way. How do you complain in an evil way? What is evil about complaining? It's obnoxious. <laughs> I, by the way, I could prove to you it's obnoxious. Nobody wants to live with a complainer. Okay? Let's be, let's be clear. We can handle a whole host of non-wonderful traits in the people in, in our lives, but complaining is very high on the list of the worst or low, if you, if you, depending on how you want to measure it. If you're married to a complainer, you've got a troubled marriage. If you, your child is a chronic complainer, you've got a troubled child, and it affects the family. And it's, what is it, the squeaky wheel gets greased first, right? Isn't that the old saying? Because they, they, why did they, why did they complain a lot? A lot of reasons, but one is, so often it's rewarded. It's a pretty obnoxious trait. But why does God himself, whether you take this stuff literally or not, that's what's written there. So you have to take it at its, at its face value, why would the most powerful book in the history of the world, the Bible, describe God as furious at people complaining and, and to the point of even considering it evil? And there is a reason, because complaining emanates from ingratitude. And ingratitude is about as ugly a trait as exists in human beings. We can handle people who are selfish. I mean, it's not a great trait, but we can handle that. We can handle a whole host of things. Everybody has flaws. But ingratitude is as bad as it gets, and there's a very good reason for that. Because gratitude is the mother of both goodness and happiness. You cannot be a good person if you're not grateful, 
And you cannot be a happy person if you're not grateful. There are no happy in greats. Not one. In the billions of people on earth, there is not a single happy ingrate. Grateful people are happy. Ungrateful people are unhappy. But and, and they're not just that. They're bad. Ungrateful people are bad people. They take it out on others. They lash out. They hurt even those who help them because that's the essence of ingratitude, right? You're not grateful to those who help you. So there's a huge lesson there in, in, this, in, in these uh, verses in, in chapter 11 of this book called Numbers that God gets furious at these complainers because they're ingrates. After all I did for you, I took you out of slavery with all these miracles and you're complaining that you don't have the fish you had when you were, when, when you were slaves in Egypt? That's, that's instead of thank you, that's, that's what I get? That's basically what really ticks God off, and he's right to be ticked. Ingratitude is as ugly as it gets. I, I return to my original point. America is divided between left and right, absolutely, between uh, Democrat, Republican, whatever you want to say. But the division is really between the ingrate and the grateful. It's just a fact. The further left you go in the political spectrum, the less grateful you are. You wouldn't be in that part of the spectrum. When I speak at college campuses, I always invite those who differ with me to come up to the microphone first. And, and, and often they do. And I remember... At, in one lecture, I don't remember which university, so a number of young women came up to the microphone, and one basically said to me, so wait a minute, you're, you're telling me that I am not oppressed as a woman? And I said, that's right, I'm telling you you're not oppressed as an American woman. And especially as an American woman being given this incredible life of being a college student, Everything is taken care of for you. You have a beautiful room, a beautiful dorm, great meals. You don't have to work even in most cases. It's being paid for you by your parents or by the society or by the college. And you're telling me you're oppressed? And they're shocked because nobody really looks at them and goes, you're not oppressed. To think you're oppressed is obviously a manifestation of ingratitude, right? Grateful people don't think they're oppressed. <laughs> Can we all agree on that one? Th this notion of uh, I, I am a victim, that's an, another example of the ingratitude. And in, in this country at this time, you're told that if you're not a white, heterosexual, uh, Christian male then you are a victim. Every other group, female, black, Hispanic, gay, every, every group. And what, what does that mean? That means if, if your primary identity is victim, you're an ingrate. By definition, I mean, that, that, that should be as clear as anything in life, correct? I often say that when you go to college, you get a BA in ingratitude. If you stay in graduate school, you get a master's in ingratitude. And if you continue on, you get a PhD in ingratitude. 
it almost doesn't matter what subject you officially get your degree in, the real degree is in ingratitude. And that's ugly. So I thought I, I would open up with that. Because there, you have no chance for a happy or good, kind life if you're not grateful. Okie doke. Let's go to your questions. Take it away, my friend. Hi, Dennis. This is Terry Terramoto. I'm 30 from Syracuse, Utah. My question is if you have any advice for someone that's begun to feel resentment towards the younger generation. I notice I have an easier time connecting with and building relationships with the older generation, but for some reason have a harder time connecting with and building relationships with younger adults. Or it's going to be very frustrating as a young single adult who feels like they were born in the wrong generation. Any wisdom on this would be greatly appreciated. Thanks. That's fascinating, I must say. First, I'll, I'll, end, I'll begin with the last part about thinking you were born in the, in the wrong generation. A lot of people have felt that. There's, uh, it, it's actually understandable. I hate to say this because I, I want to help you out, but I have a, as my primary commitment to tell you the truth. I understand why somebody today would think, uh, why a young person, and 30 is young, would think that they were born in the wrong generation. When I think about the America that I was born into and lived in, certainly when I was 30, and I think of how much freer the country was and happier. Now, people will say, oh, well, yeah, of course, you're white, so you were happier. Well, first of all, vast numbers of whites today are unhappy. So the, that's a, it's a foolish thing to say. Vast numbers of people of every, of every group are happy and unhappy. It, 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 your race does not determine your happiness. And yes, there, there, were, there were terrible things like Jim Crow laws in the South in the United States vis-a-vis -vis blacks. But if you speak to a lot of older blacks, uh, the, while they resented and had every reason to, the Jim Crow laws where, I mean, incredibly, a black couldn't even stay at a regular hotel in many instances or eat a lunch counter uh, in, 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 let's say, Louisiana. These are awful things. But they don't remember their lives in every instance as awful. They... they they actually embody my belief that you have to find things to be grateful for. But even putting that aside, it was a better time for most people. Okay, let's put it that way. Was it a better time for everybody? Look, I'm a Jew. When my father was alive, uh, you, Jews were not allowed into most country clubs. Jews were not allowed into very many uh, of the most prestigious law firms. There was a quota on Jews at Harvard. I mean... Uh, and yet my father uh, told my brother and me, his two, his two children, his two sons, that we were the luckiest Jews in, in the history of the Jewish people to be a, an American Jew. With, with, all the, uh, with, with, with all the discrimination that existed. He wrote his, his senior class thesis at City College of New York on discrimination against Jews. And yet he rightly considered himself to be the luckiest Jew in the world to have been an American Jew. You have to put things in perspective in, in life. 
So I, I get it why you would think that you were born into the wrong generation. Having said that, I will just tell you that the task in life is to make happy the circumstances that you are in. You can't romanticize the past and you can't romanticize the future. That is a, a, a guarantor of unhappiness. And a lot of conservatives romanticize the past, and a lot of people on the left romanticize the future. Oh, we're moving to this great age where everyone will, you know, ultimately, as Marx put it, they, 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 they will get what they need, and they will work to their, the best of their ability, or, you know, to each according to his needs. And, and, and by the way, who determines that? The state determines what you need. So uh, I don't romanticize the past. I mean, there are ways in which it was better, but it's not romanticization. I mean, that's just a fact. Nevertheless, having said that, I have a strong feeling if I were 30 today, I would be a happy 30. And I don't agree with you about all young people. There are a lot of young people who are troubled because they've been raised to be ingrates, what what I actually spoke about at the opening. But there are a lot of terrific young people. I mean, really terrific young people. And uh, there are a lot of awful old people. After all, who made this country with its problems? Older people. <laughs> They're the ones who invented the ideas that are, that are poisoning young people's minds. They weren't invented by young people. They were invented by older people. So what you need to do is forget age and celebrate wonderful people. That's it. And that, that's the answer. And you will find as many who are 50 as 20. Okay, good luck. Let's, uh, let's go on here. Jennifer, 27, Columbus, Ohio. Hello, Mr. Prager. Hello. Thank you for the work you do as a very neurotic individual. That's adorable. She, she acknowledges she's neurotic. By the way, neurotic is not the same as psychotic. I just, it's very important. Psychotic is dangerous. Neurotic is troubled. There is something, I find your show extremely calming. Well, that's good. There is something about wisdom that makes me feel safer. That's a very intelligent line. Wisdom does make you feel safer. The more you feel you grasp the world, the better you feel about everything. That's why I love clarity. That's why the motto of my radio show, my whole 40 years of radio has been, I prefer clarity to agreement. Whenever I differ with people, I always search for clarity. How is it exactly that we differ? I don't try to talk them into my position. I want to clarify where we differ. By the way, I think couples should do that too. Don't try to win an argument. Just try to clarify where you differ. And, and it's a very, very helpful thing for couples to do. Anyway, yes, wisdom makes you feel safer. My question is whether you ever feel guilt for living a good life. I'm a middle-class American, and I've made many wise decisions. However, I feel guilty that so many people in the world don't have it as good as I do. Should I feel this way? Have you ever felt this way? Thank you. I have been to 130 countries. I started traveling at the age of 20. I've been... Uh, outside of the United States every single year of my life, except... 131 countries. Sorry? 131. Why? What was the one I just added? The newest one. Where, um... 
I just added a newest one. Yes. I remember. Oh, yes. You're right. Slovakia. Slovakia. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Wow. Megan knows me (laughs) better than I know me in some ways. Yes. 131. Thank you. But there are under 31 countries. And I started at 20. As I was saying, I've been abroad outside of the U.S. every year of my life since I was 20, except for 2020. It was not, it was just not possible. But even 2021, that's when I went to Slovakia, Slovakia, Hungary, and Czech Republic. So uh, I saw human misery from a very, very early age. Uh, I remember kids uh, in the Philippines and in India who were naked. And I, but I also remember an interesting thing. They were laughing a lot. Now, I'm not saying it's good to be poor. It's not. But I did find it interesting and almost troubling that I saw more laughter among a lot of kids in India and in the Philippines than I did in America, where the kids were a hundred times wealthier than they. And I'm not talking about wealthy kids, just middle-class Americans, as you are, Jennifer. Uh, As a general rule, guilt is only worthwhile if you did something bad. Then guilt is important because you can repent and move on with your life and try to undo the bad you did. That is the only time guilt is worthwhile. If you did something wrong, you didn't do anything wrong to be born in middle-class America. How could you feel guilty if you didn't do anything wrong? It gives guilt a silly name. You didn't do anything and you're guilty? So that's, it's, it's just, it's, it's a wrong response. And, uh, and by the way, it, it's sort of endless. Should people wealthier than you feel guilty for being wealthier than you? Where, where does this end? What I have felt, given that I so recognized how blessed I was being an American, I, I basically have tried to devote my life to making the world a little bit better. And how do I do that? By advocating ideas that I believe will make a better world. And the first, the first one is to eliminate evil to the best of our ability. Uh, and my, my cure, live by the Ten Commandments. I have a very specific cure. So as I've said now for about two years, if you want to really defund the police, just have everybody live by the Ten Commandments. Then you can defund the police. It's not a lot to ask for. Watch my videos on the Ten Commandments. They explain why they're so brilliant. What would be, what would be so wrong? I mean, even, even if you're an atheist, why would you not want people to live by the Ten Commandments? Is there, is, is there anything wrong in the Ten Commandments? So uh, feeling guilty, you should feel grateful. That's what you should feel. And then you will do a lot more good for the world. You'll also be a lot less neurotic because you'll be happier. So the response you should have for being middle-class American is gratitude. Megan, uh, one of my favorite names, 32 years old, Westminster, Colorado. Hi, Dennis. On episode 234, you mentioned if your parents were in hospice, 
or a home during the lockdowns, you would have broken the rules, risked going to prison and visited them. I would have too. I was talking with someone about COVID lockdowns, masks, etc. And at one point they said that their parents raised them to, quote, follow the rules no matter what. I said my parents raised me to stand up for my beliefs and fight for the truth. Would you share your thoughts on following the rules at all costs, or if you think sometimes breaking them is the right thing to do? Thank you for all you do. I love listening to you each week. Bye, Dennis. Thank you. So that's uh, another not only interesting, but one of the most important questions people could ask. If you follow the rules no matter what, the obvious problem is, what if the rules are immoral? Right? I mean, if a German followed the rules of the 1930s, they would have snitched on a Jew who was hiding from the Nazis. If, uh, I mean, I, I'm just giving you the most dramatic example, but those were the rules of Germany, right? Tell us where a Jew is hiding. And, uh, I mean, if you follow the rules, I mean, it's, it's hardly comparable to the Holocaust, but it's certainly terrible. If you follow the rules, I mentioned Jim Crow South. If you follow the rules, I would hope that a hotel owner would not have followed the rules and allowed a black to stay in his hotel. Right? So the, uh, this was my worry about the lockdowns in the United States. I was watching people in vast numbers, following irrational rules. Of, of course we, we should follow rational rules and moral rules, but what if the rules are irrational? Keeping schools closed for two years, that was the rules in a lot of, that was the rule in a lot of places. Do you know the damage done to children? It might be irreversible. I don't know that it is. I pray it isn't, but it might be. So, any school that followed that rule hurt children. Simple as that. It was a terrible, horrible, destructive, irrational, unscientific rule. So I, I don't even understand the notion of following rules no matter what. It's, uh, it's a great question, and it's an important answer. What's our timing there, Meg? 27. Ryan, 39 years old, Plymouth, Minnesota. Hey, Otto the Agile. Otto the Agile? <laughs> That's a new one. And Dennis, also Agile. If you could wake up tomorrow morning with a new professional level talent, what would it be and why? Love the shows. So... I see the questions about two minutes before I do the fireside chat because I want the answers to be spontaneous. I just look at them in advance in case there's something I just don't think is is applicable to the sh to well, it's not the show to the fireside chat. <laughs> so I, I my immediate response if I thought about this for an hour I might have another one, but my immediate response is so if I had. If I had to have a different professional talent than, let's say, speaking or writing, what would it be? I pr it would probably be to be a really, really good musician. I rarely have envy. It's a blessing from God or my nature. I don't know which. I'm not an envious person. 
It's just not in my nature to be. I don't even have to fight it. But I will admit that when I go to a concert and I'm, I conduct orchestras periodically, I'm very involved in classical music, and I watch these people in the violin section or the wind section, and I watch them play, and I think, what kind of high must it be to play in, a, in an orchestra, in a, in a, obviously a, an accomplished orchestra? So, the, or, or for that matter, just, just play piano great. Piano is not a member of, of an orchestra as a general rule. Sometimes they play with an orchestra that's called a concerto. It's a piece of music for a, a, an instrument and an orchestra. But that would, be, that would probably be it, to be able to pick up some instrument and play it professionally. I got I to gotta think that's, that's a high. And yet it's an interesting question. If you're in an orchestra for 20 years... And I have uh, friends who were in some of the greatest orchestras of the country. Do they have a high every concert? And I don't think they do, which is totally understandable. Although I will say, if I can use my own professional ability, I love every talk. I love giving every talk I give. I love doing the fireside chat. I love doing my radio show. That's three hours every day, five days a week. I've been doing it 40 years. There is not one iota less excitement in me today than when I began radio. But I think there's a reason, aside from the fact that I love the work, is that I feel it has a lot of meaning. I'm touching people's lives. What's better than that? And that... I don't know if a musician feels every time, although they really are touching people's lives. Look at the way they respond you know, after they, they heard you play. So it's an interesting question to pose to someone who has that ability. But if I were to have one that other than what I have now, but I'm happy with what I have now. So I don't, I'm not complaining, but I'm answering your question. I guess it's time. It goes fast. I hope it goes fast for you watching me right now or listening to me. Some people don't just listen, don't watch. That's, uh, that's a good thing. Anyway, it is a joy to be with you. And Otto and I say thank you and see you next week. Thank you for watching this video. To help keep PragerU videos free, please consider making a tax-deductible donation.